Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 110 with Stephanie Raffalock. She is an author, podcaster, motivational speaker. Uh, she talks a great deal about aging gracefully and uh, positively. She has a, a book called A Delightful Little Book on Aging. We talked at length in this interview about all kinds of stuff. Uh, everything from our attitude. She talks about the three A's of aging, which I'm not going to get into all that. Listen to the interview. You'll hear all of it. Everything about aging and uh, the difference between those who age well and those who don't, and a whole bunch of things in between about our mindset and our approach to life and uh, some differences and some stories and some people. We talked even about George Burns, and you may or may not know who that is, but an old-time actor who's now since passed. But uh, we talked about all kinds of great stuff, and uh, I'm excited to bring this to you. We haven't talked a lot about aging before, but it's something we're all doing as we speak, uh, but it's something that we ought to embrace. And I love her attitude and her message on this topic. I want to remind you as always up front before we jump in the interview, you are absolutely priceless. Nothing can change that. I'm waving my finger in the air that you can't see right now. You are priceless. That's the passion I have with getting that message into your mind, heart, and soul. You are absolutely priceless. Uh, so I'm sorry, waving the finger is, uh, it's, it's not my middle finger, it's my index finger, but I'm pointing at all of us to look in the mirror and recognize that. And there's nothing about arrogance or any other nonsense like that. There's just uh, an inherent knowing that ought to exist in all of us that we don't let anything get us down to thinking anything less than that. We're above, that's what priceless means, we're above the prices and the monetary systems of this world. And uh, you are not uh, excluded from that. You are no exception. And of course, along with that, you are never alone uh, in every sense of the term uh, being never alone. And what I mean by that, and we talked a little bit about this in our chat here uh, about people and things and even pets that have passed and our connection there. And whether you have any sort of religious or spiritual belief or not, uh, there's a connection there that uh, I think is very comforting for a lot of people. Uh, but also in the world we live in, you're never alone. Neighbors, friends, co-workers, family, and all these various uh, sets of people in our lives. Send an email if you need to, info at empowerhumans.com, at empower101 on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, just remember that a lot of people are going through a lot of things right now. I honor that journey. We're going through it together. We talked about that in this interview. We've covered so many topics about the unity and common ground that ought to exist among humanity all through the lens of aging uh, as well, for the most part. And uh, she's got quite an interesting uh, set of principles and story and so on that we went through. Real quick, our challenges. Study. Uh, keep studying. I'm still listening again to the Think and Grow Rich book. I'm listening to some other things on time management. I'm putting together some material with that. So I'm kind of refreshing some of my uh, knowledge and uh, expertise, so so to speak, on that topic. Uh, but study things that work for you. My, my son's been studying. I've got him reading, listening to an audio book, actually, about Jim Henson, the guy who started the Muppets and uh, all that stuff, which was big when I was a kid. We had Muppet Babies and the Fraggles and all these various things. But study something that's of interest and important to you. That's one way to stimulate your mind. That's one way to, to generate energy and value in our lives as we study. Uh, so do that. Stimulate our minds. That's one of the keys with aging as well. Stimulate our minds and bodies. Staying active. Uh, the second thing, of course, uh, make great moments. Of course, that's with loved ones. That's uh, with humanity at large. We need to expand our love network more as humanity to include all of us. 
because I don't think anyone should be outside of that uh, realm to not be loved. With all the topics going on right now between race and gender and equality and all the various things, uh, I think we all need to awaken quite a bit more uh, and brush off all these past traditions of uh, whatever it is, family and culture that uh, say otherwise. Uh, let's make great moments together as a global society. And the last challenge, of course, let's keep doing this podcast together, my friends. Stephanie is an excellent guest. You're going to love this interview. So without further ado, I say this all the time, without further ado, let's jump right into our interview with Stephanie Raffalock. Here we go. We want to welcome today Stephanie Raffalock who is a motivational speaker, author, podcaster, and positive aging proponent, we'll say. How are you doing, Stephanie? I'm doing great today, Phil. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. It's, uh, we, we haven't covered this topic really before um, directly head on. It's something that we're all dealing with day by day as we, as we gradually, I guess, age, right? <laughs> yep, it's true. And, Everybody's uh, aging. Yes, we're all aging. My kids are aging. It's hard for me to believe. I've got kids that are now 8 and 10, and soon they'll be 18 and 20, I'm sure, and beyond. So um, what made you want to pursue this whole thing? I just want to jump right in, or we can talk a little bit about your background too. What brought you to this uh, point and place of, of wanting to, to pursue you know, positive aging, aging well, gracefully? Tell me about that, this background. I was writing for a, a big website called 60andme.com. And I was writing really just to be published by them, all different kinds of topics. Mm -hmm. And I started to get feedback from women my age. Now I'm 68. And mm -hmm. what I discovered was that there was a whole world of women out there that just weren't going gently into that good night that they didn't want to be thought of as, you know, the retired, insignificant, used up woman. So I began to explore some of those topics. It, why is it that there is a camp of people who just think aging sucks, getting old sucks? Well, <laughs> you can do that if you want. But then there seemed to be this other camp of people who said, I, I want to do this with some grace and some dignity. Yeah. And I'm not ready to stop living. And I think that's what really caught me was this idea that none of us are really ready to stop living yeah. until we are. And that's something that happens at the very end of life. Why take off your dancing shoes too early? Why not right. keep dancing? Mm -hmm. So it's that's how I got interested in it. And it parlayed into a book and talks and yeah. Okay, cool. That's uh, that's interesting. My mom just turned sixty-eight, um, and I'll be turning forty. It's funny these milestones when you hit like mm -hmm. these new decades, um, or even like as a planet we hit two thousand. It's oh, it's a new millennium and all these things. Uh, how does that part affect things? Um, and and as we answer that question, I heard a long time ago some differences between men and women, where women start to feel old as young as like twenty-nine years old, and men start to feel old maybe at mid 40s to 50. So there's like this discrepancy. This is like a survey. But talk about these decades and also the differences of men and women, if you would. Well, first of all, I, I think that women um, carry a greater burden of age because so much of our value is tied up in appearance. Mm. And that's partially due to the cultural influences of, of advertising, but also a cultural mindset. But until, until fairly recently, 
has um, taken hold. And I say until fairly recently, because I'd like to use the example of the 2018 midterm election, when more women over the age of 50 ran for local, state, and national office than ever before in our country's history, mm-hmm. and won. And so here, here's this idea of women rising up going, wait a second, I have some power and authority at the age of 50, and I'm going to parlay it. And 50 doesn't mean like, oh, I can just do this for a couple of years. It's like you do have a, an older life before you that can be honored, that can be um, a challenge, that can be steeped in beauty. And it's, it's just a different time for women. So I think that's shifting for women, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, culturally, it's always interesting to me, if you ask an 18-year-old what is old, they're probably going to say 40. Yeah. But if you ask that 40-year-old what's old, they're likely to say it's 55. Yeah. Ask a 55-year-old and they'll say, well, it's 70. <laughs> so, you know, it keeps, we, keep, we keep raising the bar, right? So in a, in a certain way, it is just a mindset. But it is a mindset, I believe, that, that deserves our homage. It deserves our respect, that this is a very noble passage. This takes us right up to the age of eternity, that Mm. this third chapter of our life is a time of great inner reflection. It's a time of great spiritual growth. You have finally slowed down enough that you can sit back and appreciate the gratitude, the appreciation, the love of life that you just don't have in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I'm not saying that those people aren't grateful. I'm just saying that you get a kind of slowdown factor in the older years that allow you to really embrace that mm-hmm. and um, experience what Joseph Campbell called the rapture of the experience of life. Not just the experience of life, but the rapture of the experience. Yeah, that's beautiful. The rapture of the experience of life. Well, and I think many of us could probably uh, think more in those terms because with age comes a lot of things you're saying and, you know, wisdom and experience and, uh, and you can age gracefully. I, I would point out too, I have, obviously all of us have grandmothers. My grandmother, my father's side passed a few years ago. She was 96 hmm. and uh, her sister, and we've mentioned, I've actually interviewed her sister on my podcast. Her sister is one of these Rosie the Riveters from uh, World War II. Oh my gosh. Building airplanes and stuff. And she actually continued on building airplanes for decades after the war into her nineties, believe it or not, still not in the office building airplanes. And so she was on Ellen and NBC News, they, you know, LA Times picked the story up. And so, and the reason I'm bringing that up is, is there a difference? Because my grandmother retired and she started to, uh, you know, relax and sit around a little bit and watch TV and, and before long, and, and maybe this was destined, but before long, she was kind of steeped in dementia and things as well. Um, is there something to all that? And I saw my great aunt the other day. She actually just moved over to where I'm at in Las Vegas uh, last year, which is a whole long story we won't get into. But but so she's kind of around the corner now. So we get to spend time and she's 100 now. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is fabulous. <laughs> yeah, she's 100 and fabulous. I mean, she just got her hair done. She looked beautiful. We, <laughs> we go out and I don't want to go, you know, with this virus thing going around too much with her. But right. Right. Um, we got in the car at least, <laughs> but, uh, what's the difference? How do we age gracefully? Because I'm just pointing out some of my own personal family experience. We've all got, you know, well, ancestors really, and stuff. Go ahead. 
the, the experience that you just pointed out is the experience of engagement. It's like, how much do you want to engage with life? Yeah. And I think that the engagement keeps a kind of energy and vitality going. I heard you say on one of your shows recently that you, um, you study and sometimes you, you restudy something that you've maybe read in the past. I think you, you had made reference to Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. And that is a kind of engagement, you know, that says, look, I, I could read this book six times and get something new out of it each and every time. That's a kind of engagement with your, your, with your psyche, mm-hmm. you know, your, your psychological, spiritual self. Um, your aunt also stayed engaged physically. You know, she had like a physical task. Yep. And, you know, wanted to do it for as long as she could. Yeah. So that kind of engagement, I just think it's, you know, it's kind of like that forward momentum thing that as long as there's momentum, life does not recede. And that's why you see somebody like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, regardless of what your politics are, you have to respect that woman that she has this very keen mind. And it's like, well, she's probably looking at law briefs and reading law and interpreting law. And it's kept her brain sharp. Yes. So there are things, you know, we know that exercise, you can't just do it one year and then it serves you for the rest of your life. You have to keep moving in order to stay fit. Mm -hmm. And the same is true. How do you exercise your your mind? How do you exercise your spiritual life? And that engagement, I think, is what leads to um, leading a graceful aging life and a grateful aging life. Yeah. What a great way to put it, engagement and leading a graceful and uh, grateful aging life. And we're all in an aging life together, yes. so maybe at different numbers. This, it's all funny to me, this whole numbers thing, too, because we associate numbers with, like you said, if you're 18, then 30, 40 is old. And I remember those days, too. It doesn't feel right. like that long ago. I'm sure it doesn't feel like that long ago to you. It doesn't. <laughs> and now we're, we're uh, farther along in adulthood. And and like you said, when you're 40 and I'll be 40, like I said, these, uh, these numbers start to advance. Oh, no, and 55 is old or 70. My dad's 73. And like I said, my mom just turned 68. Um, and, and I would point out with my great aunt, uh, Eleanor, she, uh, she didn't actually even retire. They closed the plant. She might still be working to, <laughs> to this day oh at age 100. But she's a unique, you know, uh, animal in a sense. Uh, I could sit next to her and she's got her leg kind of bopping and stuff. She just constantly got lots of energy. Yeah. <laughs> and some folks at that age, she, she, she's gone and worked with some, some older people as well in some of the nursing homes. And they, they kind of, some of them resent her. They, oh, mm-hmm. how, come, how come I'm in my 80s and I'm stuck in this chair or whatever and you're running around and you're now 100? Um, I'm sure that if you sat down with Aunt Eleanor and you talked to her about the challenges that she's met in aging, that she would say to you, it hasn't all been a walk in the park. No. The difference is she's willing to, um, she's willing to work it. It's just like your podcast. I hear people say all the time, oh, I, I think I'd like to have a podcast. And they don't realize the challenge of the, the amount of energy, time, thoughtfulness, yeah. <laughs> that it takes to do it. 
So there's always a commitment, you know, purposefulness in one's life doesn't just descend upon us out of the sky. It's something that we have to work with inside of ourselves as well as outside of ourselves to make it happen. It sounds to me like your Aunt Eleanor just knows that organically. Yeah, she's got an innate sense and, and a, obviously great work ethic. And coming up through the Great Depression, she was born in 1919, so now she'll be 101 mm. in October. And uh, But yeah, great examples there. And uh, there's something to be said for what we call this greatest generation. I don't, I don't, there's lots of great generations throughout human history, I suppose, too. But more recent people that we've known, uh, there, there's just something to be said for these people. And, and, uh, Let's talk about what that is to be said for these people. What is it that makes them yeah, let's the talk world's about that. greatest generation? Well, my I mean, grandfather, her sister's husband, who's also passed some time ago now, 2003, I believe, um, he, he fought in World War II and he was you know, on an aircraft carrier in the Navy and stuff. Um, I don't know if it was aircraft carrier, it was a battleship. Maybe no, they didn't have aircraft carriers in those days. But <laughs> um, in any case... Yeah, these people, she talks about, we just knew we had to win this war. And having come up through the depression and been through all that, they didn't, uh, they weren't a stranger to uh, difficulty, let's say, uh, as kids. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, none of us are really strangers to difficulty. But I think that that generation understood the nobility of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That sacrifice wasn't a, um, a burden to them. That sacrifice was something that you did, you band together. I love the stories that my mother told me about the Great Depression and about World War II because they were always stories about how people unified and came together for the good of everyone. Yeah. There was a real nobility to that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what we see when we look at that generation. You know, some of these guys went off to war and they were there for years and yeah. they left behind wives and children and everybody, they were sacrificing, but their wives and children were sacrificing too. And of course it opened, you know, one of the gifts of all that was it opened the doors for women to enter the workforce in ways that they never had before. And so shortly after the war, here's a little piece of history. In 1947, the Supreme Court said, you know what, women, we think you're smart enough to sit on a jury now. (laughs) So it became, it used to be all juries, if you had a court case, were male. And so now after this 1947 court ruling, women got to sit on the jury too. And of course, that was the direct result of how women came forward during the war and did work in the airplane factories and um, did work to support our troops overseas. There was this great effort by everyone and this kind of unification. It's a great story for us to remind ourselves of now in this time, which there's a lot of divisiveness and we're looking for ways to come together. And the added challenge of that is physically, it, it's a little dicier. Mm -hmm. So we're connecting through our screens. We're trying to get creative through um, storytelling. It's one of the things I love about podcasts is that you can listen to podcasts and you hear all kinds of stories. And I do believe we're connected by our stories. Yeah. Great, great points. And I love that you were talking about banding together. Um, Yeah. Because my dad talked to Eleanor a little while ago and he said right after this virus stuff kind of really hit hard and she 
She said, oh, this is nothing <laughs> because they've been through rationing and World War II and all these other things. Plus, I read an article some time ago about what we call centenarians, people who live to 100 and beyond as in age, and that you have to be uh, really tough to do that because for a whole bunch of reasons. Physically, uh, what aging does you know, to our bodies, regardless of how gracefully we want to age, plus losing lots and lots and lots of people. She's lost all of her sisters, three sisters. She's lost uh, husbands. She's lost uh, both of she has. She had one son. He had a heart condition and his son had a heart mm-hmm. condition. The two only children of those two generations and they're both gone, um, which is one of the reasons she's in Vegas because her grandson died last year. Um, so imagine, <laughs> imagine this, the sense of loss tied to turning 100. Um, I don't want to make this all about Eleanor and or people turning 100, but it kind of is about that idea. Well, yeah, and Eleanor definitely deserves a shout out. So of course. Yes, <laughs> I'm fine talking about Eleanor. And she's a great example of, um, you know, you're not done till you're done. And, and actually, the, the part of aging that I think people fear the most is this idea of losing their faculties and then this long, slow, lingering decline. And I suppose if you keep, if you don't keep moving and if you don't keep exercising your mind, that is a possibility. But for most people, that window of time where life recedes and systems begin to break down in the body is a short window of time. My mother lived until she was 90, but it was really just the last few months of her life that there was this decline. Mm -hmm. And towards the end, she said things like, "Yeah, I've had a good life. I'm ready to go. I want to see my parents again. So there was a piece about her, but that didn't go on for a decade. And I think that sometimes we think because of the way advertising presents older age to us, rather than seeing it as something noble, as a courageous passage, we see it as, oh my gosh, I have to get one of those necklaces. So if I fall down, I can call somebody to help me get (laughs) up and I need to go buy more Depends and I need to be able to take all these drugs. And it's like, that's that's a toxic stereotype that we would do well to um, shun. Mm. Really interesting points you just made. Um, that's yeah. It, I think there there's something to that in terms of our mindset. If our if our expectation is aging has to be this or anything in life, this or that right. means this, then generally we're going to make it our own self fulfilling prophecy, right? <laughs> Right. And that's true at any age. I mean, you know, you had started out this little segment talking about um, Eleanor's generation knew all about difficulty. But, you know, I listened to one of your guests on a podcast, a young woman named Megan Gallagher. And I thought, oh my gosh, she's 24 years old. Yeah. (laughs) And she, she knows what difficulty is. She knows exactly what it is. And, you know, sometimes we take life's challenges and difficulties and we think it's not fair and, you know, this is a terrible thing that's happening. But a wise Buddhist nun, Pema Chodron, once said, Mm -hmm. when a thing happens, we don't always know if it's a good thing or bad thing. Mm -hmm. And so really what she was saying is that in these difficulties that we have, in these challenges that we have, there are gifts. And that's what your guest, Megan Gallagher, was talking about. It's like she had found her gifts. She had found some purposefulness in the um, obstacles that had been thrown across her path. Yeah. And it, it sounds like you know that place too. That's a great place to do life from. 
you know, you can, where you can balance like the sorrow of life and the joy of life in your heart, like at the same time as you move forward. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably one of the core elements of what you're talking about in aging gracefully is because like I was listening to Joe Rogan, who he's sometimes a little, uh, uh, vulgar and stuff, but he's got some interesting points. He's got a real big podcast, as you may know, but um, one of the things he was saying uh, in context of some other interesting topics was that life had, like you're saying, all these challenges, but that he likes that. He likes these challenges because there's something to the satisfaction of overcoming and finding solutions and stuff. And, and whereas the flip side of that coin, someone could look at as, Oh, so many challenges. Let me just cower under a rock and, and die. Um, And on that same note too, you did mention with your mom where she got to a place uh, where she said, you know, I've lived a good life. And there's probably something to be said for that as well. It's not absolutely. Yeah. It's not just, we just artificially preserve life indefinitely because there's something to the transition you know, regardless of what everyone believes there's something to that transition of relief and as you mentioned with her she wanted to see her parents again and and so on um what are your thoughts on that as far as uh that side of the coin because you did mention that with your mother where people say oh i've lived a good life and someone might be saying that at age 60 or age 95 or 90 in the case of your mom well, right. And I think that comes to down to a, you know, a personal kind of choice. She didn't want to preserve life at any cost. Um, she felt like she had lived a good life and she had her own um, religious beliefs and spiritual beliefs that sustained her. And I, I think that there's a place that we, we all get to where we, we decide to go with the surrender to that or we fight, you know, the will to live is strong. Yeah. But I think that there is a place of surrender and it's one of the, it's one of the great gifts of the last chapter of one's life is to reflect upon what will it be like? Is it just lights out when you die? Or is it that we return to the stardust from which we were made? Does consciousness go on? Um, Albert Einstein said something that really gives me comfort. And he said, you know, energy doesn't die. It's not like you have energy and then it's gone. No. So I have to believe that there is a, there is a place that consciousness goes on. I just can't tell you what it is. Well, no, that's great. And as you mentioned, it's interesting you mentioned Einstein because he popped in my head as you said it. <laughs> oh, no kidding. <laughs> We're on the I same was, wavelength. Yes, we are. I, I listened to some books about Einstein, some audio books too. He was a very spiritual, religious person uh, in a lot of ways. Um, yes. And arguably the most well-known scientist of, of modern times, if not ever. And, uh, and so, the, yeah, there's something to that. And that was actually one of the things I was thinking with that you mentioned, that energy doesn't die. And um, regardless of what does happen, which does matter, um, there, there's a lot of evidence that there's more to our existence than this. And right. again, there's all kinds of differing thoughts and, uh-oh, we don't want to trample on this or that. But the people talk to mediums and people have near-death experiences. And there's, there's all these things about that that to me, I think if we're open-minded enough to kind of listen to our gut and our soul and absorb these things and process them within who we are, I think there's an element of peace to know that there's a lot of evidence that there's more to our existence than just 
birth and death, and of course, all the things in between that can be great. Right. (laughs) You know, I just read a wonderful book um, called Death is But a Dream, and I'm so sorry that I don't recall the author's name. And of course, the book is in my kitchen, so I can't run and get it. But the book is called Death is But a Dream, and it, uh, it was written by a medical doctor who did a study of people in their last days because he began to notice that patients would dream about their deceased friends or family Mm. or pets. And the dreams were always the same that somehow in the dream, the person who is in the throes of, of dying, um, their mother or their father would walk by them and say, don't worry, we're here for you. We'll be here. We'll be here. And that it gave this great sense of peace. And he's done something like 1400 studies now where he interviews people about their dreams in the, really in the last days of their life. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me. And I, I think the other thing that, that just never dies is that love is eternal. That even when we pass the love that we've had for people here stays with them in their hearts. The love that my mother had for me stays with me in my heart. It's not gone. It didn't die. So I love that idea that energy doesn't die, but neither does love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. That's beautiful. I, death is but a dream. Interesting. Um, yeah. You know, what's interesting, yeah, what's interesting about that, too, is that I know some very personal experiences, and I'm not going to get into all the specifics. My dad had a dream basically the day or the night his father died and saw him, mm. and without getting into all the specifics, it was very simple because the very specifics could take 20 seconds to explain, but essentially he saw his father and felt, they, there was no quote-unquote words exchange, just felt peace, that you're okay, and mm. and that we're okay, and I'm here. Just like you're saying from this book and, and right, Eleanor has right. had experiences like that related to her son and now grandson. He was only 48, the grandson when he died last year, half, less than half her age. Um, but that they're there and there's sometimes it, it seems like, again, people will have different thoughts. Some people listening might be, you know, atheist, any number of things. And I respect where everyone comes from honor that, but I would, I would uh, encourage open our minds to other things and do what you will with them. But uh, she's had those experiences too. And lots of, lots of, and apparently there's a whole book that you just mentioned. Right. That that very topic. Um, I don't want to shift gears too much here, but you talk on your blog a lot about stories and you mentioned this up front about how our stories um, do a lot of things, but also kind of interconnect and intertwine Talk to me about that and talk to me a little bit about your story because we haven't gotten into We mentioned your mother and that you're 68. And uh, <laughs> I know you're coming to us from Texas. Are you from Texas originally? No, I'm not. I grew up in Colorado. Uh-huh. And um, when my husband and I retired, we moved to Oregon for a few years. Oh. And the valley that we were living in fills with smoke in the summertime. And I didn't do well in the smoke. So we decided to come to Austin. Now I would have stayed in Oregon. I love the great Northwest, but my husband said, if I'm going to make another move, I never want to own another snowblower. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) So we came to Austin and I, I sort of live on the edges of Austin, Texas um, in Travis County. Yeah. And it's a wonderful place. Um, Austin is a little bubble compared to a lot of Texas because it's a lot of green rolling hills. Yeah. 
So a lot of green rolling hills and a lot of water. I live between Lake Travis and Austin Lake. Beautiful. And it's lovely to have so much water nearby. So yeah. Uh, yeah. As far as story goes, that's one story. Yeah. There's lots of stories. I do believe that we are connected by our stories that I remember in my office days standing around the coffee pot in the break room in the morning and you wanted to know about somebody's weekend or somebody's date or you know something that was going on. And the reason we want to know about that is not because we're busy buddies. It's because um, we are connected by our stories. And I think that we listen constantly for our story in someone else. And then this connection happens. Mm. And that we're never too far off. You know, the content of my heart is similar to the content of millions and millions and millions and millions of hearts. And so there is that connection through story. And we all, I think, long for the experience of transformation. Um, you mentioned this a little bit earlier about, you know, how is it that one person can say, hey, bring on the challenges, and another person can say, nope, I just want to pull the blankets up over my head. Yeah. You know, the person that says bring on the challenges understands the transformative force of the story that they're in, that there is this arc that's like a journey. And at the end of every good story, what's satisfying to us is as the reader or the film watcher or the listener, we get to hear transformation. Yeah. Like we are all engaged in this amazing story right now of a pandemic, a coronavirus. No one would have imagined this. If I had tried to write this up for an agent two years ago, they would have kicked it back to me and said, eh, not really plausible. Or <laughs> it's been done. Um, so we're in the midst of this great story. Yeah. And a lot of times it gets scary. And a lot of times I think, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to us? But then I remember what story is. It's a journey and it's a journey filled with obstacles and challenges. And what happens at the end of the story is there is this tremendous transformation. I think that the forces of coronavirus, it's going to bring to us tremendous transformation. Yeah. And yes, we're going to get a little nicked up and dinged up in the process, but you can already see it happening. Um, the coronavirus has shined an interrogator's kind of light upon all the places in our culture that are broken and damaged and the fissures of, of wounding. And we are being asked to look at that, you know, front on and now do something about it. And you see people doing something about it. We're we're having a different kind of conversation in this month, in this year, than we did a year ago in this month. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no question about that. Yeah. Yeah, I love everything you just said. Um, first of all, Austin, beautiful city. I, I haven't really been to Oregon much, but I, I've seen in beautiful place. My niece just got a job there. She just graduated college, and now she's working on the news as a reporter up there. And, in, what, uh, in what town? Um, oh, I can't think of off the top of my head. One of the bigger markets, Medford. Oh, okay. Medford, Oregon. And I was in Ashland, Oregon, which is home to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Ah, so yes. That yeah, that's is not a, far. Oh, it's a very cool area. There's great hiking. Hiking is one of the things I love to do the most. <laughs> There's good hiking around me, although between April till about the first of November, I don't hike on the trails here because of the snakes. 
Um, but I still, I still walk. So yeah, but the great, the Pacific North Northwest is a great place to hike. Well, with all the rain that goes on up there, it's, it has to be (laughs) lots of greener. Exactly. and no need for snow blowers there or in Austin. So congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the big takeaway from our conversation. No snow blowers. Right. No but, snow blowers. Uh, he could have had some extra life challenges with those snow blowers. <laughs> well, and I have. Yeah. You know, when my husband and I lived in Colorado, we used to lie in bed at 5.30 in the morning and we would talk about, well, actually we would argue about who got up yesterday to snow blow the driveway. <laughs> well, no, I did. No, you didn't. No, I did. It's your turn. You know, we would have those conversations because getting up at 530 in the morning and it's five degrees below and you have to like put on all the gear to go out and run the snowblower. Yeah. Um, it is the job of a much younger person. Yeah, I've done some snow blowing myself. It's, it's not always fun, but it's rewarding at the end, just like mowing a lawn can be. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it feels good once you're done. Yeah, and it looks nicer and you can walk up and down the driveway and stuff. But so um, that, as I think about what you're talking about too, which you mentioned a little bit ago about the common ground between us, I'm, I'm real big on the topic of common ground with humanity because it seems like mm-hmm. we've, as a society globally, focused so much in recent decades, especially, and probably throughout the centuries, uh, on differences. Uh, that There's a difference here with religion and language and and ideas, but at the end of the day, we're male and female, and we reproduce, and we share literal common ground on a planet that uh, is, for all that we know, possibly the only place with life, although in my heart of hearts, I don't believe that in this vast, vast universe, but that's another topic for another day. But, and, and, and the thing that occurred to me the other day on this topic of common ground is uh, if we were to find life in some reachable place and interact there would we go after them because they were black or because they were, obviously they'd probably speak a little bit differently than we uh, do or, or different languages or however they would communicate. Would we really go after them the way we do with, with living creatures on our own planet? I mean, there's stuff that we need to introspectively look at as humans. And I know I'm somewhat diverting, but it's all interconnected with the topic and the stories and the stuff you're talking about, this common ground topic of humans, which sounds like is a big thing for you as you Absolutely. talk about stories. Um, what are your thoughts on that as far as, I mean, this virus thing is this common ground kind of challenge that no one expected just came up out of nowhere. Uh, and so we're all going through that together. Um, what do you think is going to happen moving forward? Do we, can we make any predictions? Can we end up in a better place than we were? <laughs> well, I have sent my crystal ball to the dry cleaners, so I, I can't okay. really predict. But I do have some <laughs> ideas about yeah. what, can, what can happen. Um, I think that there, as I said to you earlier, I think there are some great gifts in this. Mm-hmm. I look at things like, I read an article in a business journal recently that said 35% of the people that commute to an office don't really need to commute to an office in order to do their work. Well, oh. imagine if you could clean up 35% of the pollution on a full-time basis. Yeah, and traffic. One of the things that happened, you know, when we started social distancing in the very, very beginning of this, yeah. within a month, you saw pictures from around the world of not only clean air, but here's the one that surprised me, clean water. Yeah. Clear water. So interesting. Well, I think as we come to the other side of this, wow, what if we were to a- able to cut back 
35% of our transportation. What if the airline industry, which is, you know, kind of floundering with all of this, sure. said, you know what, let's take our funds and invest our technology in high-speed rail for this country. It's much less of a pollutant. It will get people to where they want to go faster and better. Yeah. And maybe we can eliminate even some more traffic. Mm -hmm. So I see that as a potential. I look at these um, office buildings sitting empty. And I think, you know, one of the things we've learned during coronavirus is how important community is. Small community, not like the big world community, but like the neighbors in, in my neighbor, I know them by name. I know their dogs' names. I know their kids. And I know that we all have each other's back. So what if we took these empty office buildings and we retrofitted them into being condominiums, but condominiums that had a grocery store, a drugstore, hmm. and maybe some kind of gym or other things and it became these small clusters of communities where one could live and you wouldn't have to drive so far to get to things mm. and communities that were maybe where people have something in common that they want to share oh here's the book group condos you know yeah. i'm big on book groups yeah so i look at those kind of things that are potentials that we are being asked during this time to reimagine the world. That's very, very exciting mm -hmm. to revision and reimagine the world as a better place. What a great way to find common ground and what a great mm -hmm. way to take some of the stress off that, you know, it isn't going to be like this forever. It isn't going to be this list of fears and concerns forever. And we're being asked to reimagine life that we can do better that we can do cleaner, that we can do healthier. Yes. And do a life that's encompassing of much, much more and many more people than what we currently have. Yeah. Um, yeah, excellent. I, I think too, uh, with what you said at the beginning about the traffic and, uh, and the pollution and all these things that change so, so quickly, um, just with social distancing and stay at home orders and things like that, that, uh, a lot of what we've done with our world has become so, uh, I don't want to call us out, but I do, greed-driven, and then we've overcomplicated, and then we've grown cold towards our fellow man, mankind and women, of course, uh, our fellow humans. And uh, for someone who doesn't have their crystal ball that's at the cleaners, you've got a, quite a vision <laughs> <laughs> for, for a hypothetical, hopefully, some version of of that comes to pass because the world's changing big time. I mean, you can, I think we can all sit back, hold hands together, you know, uh, symbolically speaking, and just watch that the world is changing. There's an awakening. People are seeing what we are as people, what our potential is, that all this discrimination and all the other nonsense, waste of time stuff we've done is just that a waste of our limited time because that, and that goes back to the whole topic, the beginning of aging. Time is limited. Like you said, being a 68, right. that was 50 years ago, you were 18, mathematically. That's right. Um, That's right. 
I think back to, did you ever see the movie back in the 80s? I know I'm all over the map. There's a movie called uh, 18 Again with George Burns. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. No, and, but I have, I have an amazing connection to George Burns. Oh, do you? Tell me about that, and we'll talk well. about the movie. <laughs> Some people listening may not know George Burns is a, now he's deceased, but uh, he was a very well-known comic actor and uh, always on Tonight Show and things like that, I think. But, and he had one of the early, early television shows in the 50s called the George Burns and Gracie Allen Show. Gracie Allen was his wife. And okay. his um, sign-off was always at the end of the show, he would come out and he would say to the, to the camera and to the audience, he would say, okay, thanks for being here. Say goodnight, Gracie. And she would say, goodnight, Gracie. <laughs> and that, that was the sign-off. Okay, so George Burns was managed by a guy named Irving Fine. Uh -huh. And Irving Fine was also the manager of Jack Benny, who a lot of people listening may not know Jack Benny either, but he was a comedian from the 1950s and 60s. And what's yeah. interesting about these guys was they came up from vaudeville. They came up from a time when comedy was all live and all on stage and, you know, it wasn't television yeah. um, or podcast. So Irving Fine called me up one day. I was good friends with his daughter and he said, George is going to turn 100, and he's doing a book called How to Live to Be 100, and I need a couple of models to exercise with George. Would you be interested? I'll give you $50. So it was like, yeah. Sure. So I, uh, I went to the photo shoot, and I did sit-ups with George Burns and some other exercises. We, we jogged down Sunset Boulevard together and got our picture taken. And that's funny. And so I'm in this book called How to Live to Be 100 with George Burns. Wow. So that is my connection to George Burns. It's so funny that you mentioned him. Yeah, that's funny. That's, and that authorized you now to do all this other stuff with aging because you associated with exactly. George. I, and this movie, just the premise, I haven't seen it in a long time. In fact, I remember watching it one time. I grew up in Albuquerque. Um, my grandma came to town. My parents had split up, so she came and was kind of helping out and uh, raising our spirits and stuff. But we watched this movie. We rented the tape back in those days. And she just loved the movie because, of course, she was, at, I guess, in those days, probably in her 60s. And now she's just turned 90. But in any case, uh, she loved the movie. And George sings this song in the movie. I'm not going to sing it here, but I do remember it. He says, I wish I were 18 again, going where I've never been. And uh, old folks and old oaks standing tall just pretend. I wish I were 18 again. I don't know why I remember the words, but my grandma liked it so That's much so that I probably great. listened to it enough. That and, is uh, so great. But I love those old simple times because he's just, yeah. it's a cool song and it's heartwarming. And the whole movie is he basically somehow, I don't know if it was switched places or something with, maybe it was his grandson who was 18. And so he got to run track again and do all these things that he wanted to do as an 18 year old. And, uh, I don't know, probably at the end of the day, at the end of the movie, he realized that growing old wasn't so bad either, but he got to have that experience. Um, right. But I thought it was a point, it just popped in my head with our topic. I thought it was, and then of course you have your connection with George, so uh, give us more to talk about. <laughs> there you go. But I recommend the movie. To, I'm, not, I'm not being paid by whoever produced that movie, but I recommend <laughs> 18 again. So uh, as you talk about too, as we go through life and deal with all these difficulties. Now, when I t we talk a little bit about your story, you didn't mention any children. Do you have, if you don't mind me asking, do you have any children? I don't have children. I, I did, um, I got married a little later in life. I got married uh -huh. when I was um, 37 years old. Nothing wrong with that. And um, we never had kids. 
And there were just other things that I did with that motherly energy. Yeah. And that's, and that's a lot of women can do that. Like I didn't have my mom around when I was a kid. And if you're listening, mom, I love you. I talked to her length yesterday for some time. And uh, like I said, she just turned 68, but there were other women around and moms of my friends who kind of uh, filled some version of a motherly role. And, and so I, uh, I can appreciate that women are just marvelous creatures. And I've said this recently on the podcast, I think if we didn't have women, well, first of all, none of us would exist, but in more ways than that, we wouldn't exist. We would have all blown ourselves up as men <laughs> without you women, <laughs> uh, probably in, within the first week. And uh, yes, that warrior energy does need some balance. Well, and I grew up all boys too. So I think too, like we used to, we'd go outside and put firecrackers and matchbox cars and blow them up and stuff boys we like watching things blow up and unfortunately yeah. we're blowing up our world in a lot of ways and a lot of that i'm sorry to say is male driven it's not women aren't doing this stuff <laughs> we, we men need to calm the heck down but again off topic you talk about a little bit ago though about we go through life and i think you use the term nicks and dings that we get in life right um how, how do you think that stuff can be you know, kind of battle scars that we're proud of rather than, oh, we dwell on something that went wrong or something that we didn't expect. Uh, how can we turn those in? I don't want to use maybe the term badge of honor or maybe we do, but how do we go through life with those difficulties and still thrive, do you think, as, as we get older? For me, I like to remember that all success is built on the back of failure. If you look at success in that way, then there really isn't failure, is there? You just get dinged up a little bit. And courage doesn't look like someone who hasn't been dinged up. Courage doesn't look like the gold breastplate and the gold wristbands. Courage looks like skin, knees, and baby barf on your shoulders. Mm. So that's how I hold it. I, I think it's a part of life, and I think that we have to remember that everything, everything in life up to this point has brought us to where we are. And so it's all valid. It's all good. Even yeah. the bad experiences, they change us, they shape us. Um, there are a lot of things, bad things that happen to people that make them compassionate people. Mm -hmm. I have a dear girlfriend here in Austin who um, grew up in a family where the mother just didn't really pay attention to her. And she has this kind of broken heart, you know, that she was never really seen by her mother. And what she did with that in her life is that this woman adopts animals that nobody else wants. And she has a big ranch where she raises miniature horses, mm -hmm. which is a whole other delightful story because if you've ever seen a miniature horse, you want one. <laughs> um, yeah. But she adopts, I saw a dog recently out at her place that um, is totally blind old. No one else was going to want this dog. And she loves this dog and this dog is happy. And it's like, so she has found a way to turn this life event that was unfair, harsh, hurtful into something that is joyous and good and generous of spirit. Yes. So I think you have the dings that way. It's like good can come from this. Yes. I bet if we looked into your past, what has made you such a unifier and a mm -hmm. unifying force is that you've had an experience in your life where you felt like things were broken off from you. Things were yanked from you <laughs> in a way that they never really should have been. 
Yeah. But what you did with that, decided to do with that, was to go, you know what? In that case, I will be a unifying force. And often those decisions are made unconsciously. Mm-hmm. We just respond to, you know, what the event is. And then we figure it out like 20, 30 years later. Um, it's like, oh, wow, that's why that work was so important to me. You know, it's so yeah. important to me to be an uplifter of people, an uplifter, especially of women, and to, uh, to be an inspiration in whatever way I can. That's as the result of things that happened in my life that didn't seem necessarily fair or seemed harsh. Yeah, that's great. I, uh, yeah. And as you mentioned Megan, we talked for our podcast last week. In fact, mm-hmm. a lot of what we talked about was framing because she talks, as you know, a lot about anxiety and things that she experienced with that. And, and so framing these things, I mean, and, and you mentioned, you know, maybe me and my background, some of it was exactly what you said. I mean, my family kind of was torn apart when I was basically four, my parents split up and I'm the youngest. So there's always something about birth order. The youngest tends to mm-hmm. be kind of a, uh, I don't know, a glue of sorts uh, that like, I'm the only one that everyone still talks to in my family, let's just say, and that's not to toot my own horn. It's probably just partially all those factors and being the youngest and stuff. And then really nobody much talks to anybody. Although my, young, my middle brother does live with my dad currently. So they, they do interact, but they don't interact much. Even my dad said so, but in any case, yeah, we all have different things that we've experienced. And I love that we can frame it such that, that, well, what what good can come of this? And maybe just literally confront it head on with that question. What good can both come of this for me and maybe more importantly for the world around me? Because you'll find your own uh, power and even value in contributing. Um, so I, I love those points. Uh, so as we talk about the aging process, I know, again, we're all over the map, but it's all coming back to the same. How do we how do we grow old gracefully? It's this whole topic because we all go through challenges. Some people may have children or not, or do other things with their lives or careers. But you mentioned some of this up front, but do you have any like real specific tips? What are some of the keys from your book that you'd like to cover as well to get people over to that book? The delightful Uh, little book on aging, by the way, uh, is the title. You can get it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or target.com. You can get it just about anybody, anywhere. Great. Um, so I'm going to give you the three A's of aging that okay. I think lead to a um, grateful and graceful aging experience. The first one is activity. Don't stop moving. Don't stop moving in your body, but don't stop moving in your mind either. Make sure that you read, make sure that you study, make sure that you watch film and be active in your spiritual life, whatever those beliefs are, a place where you can find peace and relaxation and de-stress and mm-hmm. just appreciate the miracle of life around you. That's what I mean by activity. Adapt. Yeah. This is the big one, adaptability. We're living in a time that calls on all of us to adapt to what's happening. Yeah, sure. And sometimes we resist adaptation. Uh, I used to do yoga on a fairly regular basis. I still do yoga but I do a lot of it from a chair. So I do certain postures from a chair where I can have back support. And then I do the rest of the work on the mat. I've adapted. I don't apologize for that. I don't feel badly about myself for that. I feel great that I'm still doing yoga. We adapt to what life 
brings us and do so with a joyous attitude. And attitude is the last one. So there's activity, adaptation, and then attitude. An attitude of gratitude will get you a long, long way in this world. If you can find a time each day to say thank you, hopefully first thing in the morning, Mm -hmm. but throughout your day, there's so much to be grateful for, even during these tough times. The fact that the sun came up again today, I'm so grateful for that. It rained here in Austin yesterday, and there was something so calming about the sound of the rain. I'm so grateful for that. I'm on this fabulous podcast this morning with a guy (laughs) who wants to be a unifier, who wants to unite people and bring them together. Oh my God, I am so grateful for that. That's all a matter of attitude. And as I said, an attitude of gratitude is what best serves us. So those are the three points that I ask people to look at as they enter this third chapter. Whenever this third chapter begins, does it begin at 50? Does it begin at 60? Does it begin at 70? I don't know. I know it's the last third of life, but I can't really tell you. Mm -hmm. But I do know that those three things continue to serve me every single day. Stay active. Don't be afraid to adapt. And watch your attitude. Yeah. And it seems obviously those three qualities should probably uh, start even earlier in life, as early as possible, as so that we just carry them forward. Uh, Absolutely. Just like, uh, you know, in the book of Proverbs, it says, I think it's Proverbs, says, uh, teach it, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. <laughs> uh, and That's I'm trying right. to instill that in my children. Uh, again, whether you believe in Christianity, the Bible, or anything else, I think there's truth there regardless in that. Absolutely, statement. there is truth there regardless. Yeah, and uh, and by the way, we're grateful to have you too. It's uh, I flattered what you said about the podcast, but <laughs> thank you for that. Um, and 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 as we talk about the scars and, and, and these willingness to adapt and attitude and stay active. Um, one thing I heard a, a while back was you never lose in life. You either win or you learn. And, oh, and that, and that's that. such a, I think theme to frame. It's easier said than done here in a moment where we're just on these topics. And then, then you go in context of life and Oh, something happened. And, and it was so awful at the moment, but how quick can we jump to that place of, okay, what what do I get from this? Or even I've heard people say in in the wake of even some of the most terrible things to be able to say, I'm grateful for this. Uh, I mean, some might look at that as you must be insane to just jump straight into that. But there's always reason to be grateful. You know, yes. and I don't even want to give examples, all kinds of what we might call awful things that can happen to us humans. But there's there's so much good that can come from literally everything. And uh, boy, you got a lot of great points, uh, <laughs> Stephanie. And I thank you, Phil. Yeah, I just feel like we could we could talk forever about all this stuff. Uh, we really could. Am I able? To, do you have enough time for me to share one last story with you? I would and your love listeners? that. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Please share your. So story. we were talking about you know when things happen to us and um, taking the things in stride and adapting. So mm-hmm. I had this really painful thing happen. Just recently, mm-hmm. I had to put my dog down. I know so many of your listeners are, you know, their eyes are already willing up with tears. Yeah. Because anyone that has loved a dog and had to put the dog down, it's anguishing. 
you know, it's like you're planning your dog's death. And it's like, was it too soon? Did I wait too long? Mm. So this dog had been with us for 11 years. Um, My husband and I rescued the dog. Um, So he he was about 18 months old, I think, when he came to live with us. Mm. And just an absolutely wonderful dog who was with me all the time. He went to work with me back when I was still going to a job every day. Um, I always took him in the car with me unless it was super hot. And then I didn't take him because I didn't want to leave him in a hot car. But he was with me constantly. He was my little shadow. Yeah. And so when he died, I was struck by how piercing the absence was. And I missed this dog so much. The last couple of days, I've asked myself, what was his parting gift? What was his parting gift? Because you don't have that kind of relationship with a person or a critter without there being a gift when they leave. And as I said, love doesn't die. And I realized that this very soft, mushy part of my heart where tenderness resides is just wide open. And that's the part, that was my dog's parting gift was that he left this part of my heart open to experience all the sufferings of the world and all the joys of the world and to have compassion for all beings of the world. I think that's what animals give us when we love them and then we lose them, is that they mm. open up that, that little doorway in the heart that's so soft and mushy that we can sit with it and it makes us better people. Yeah, wow. Thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm sorry to hear that. I, yeah. I like so many, probably just about all of us can relate to losing uh, a pet uh, yes. and other loved ones, but animals in particular bring such an interesting, I dare say the word spirit to our lives. A, a, yes. A, just who they are and what they are. And just, there's an innocence of animals, you know, uh, and unfortunately, dogs don't live that long <laughs> compared to... No, us. they have a short shelf life and it's just wrong. <laughs> yeah, there's a, but there's, there's something to that, I think, that can feed into our ability to uh, be grateful. You know, and you've probably seen some of these movies. There's A Dog's Purpose that came out in the last few years. And then there's yes. a couple sequels. And then Marley and Me, which my goodness gracious... Uh, I don't know if you've seen that one, but I love that movie. In fact, my dog looked like Marley. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. really? Wow, cute dog. Yeah, yeah and uh, yeah, I sat there. With, I'm not married anymore. My wife at the time, we went to the movies, and we were just both sitting there bawling at the end. Of this yeah, movie, which I don't do much with movies, and it's about a dog. Uh, but beautiful thing, and I think everyone can relate to that. And I don't think anyone needs to ever, ever, ever feel ashamed of these stories or of, of emotion. This is one of the parts of our awakening. We need to all just embrace who we are, what we are at its full depth, emotion, everything. We men in particular, uh, it's time we cut the nonsense and just wake up to the fullness of what we are. And we'll be healthier. We'll be happier. We'll make the women around us both of those things too. (laughs) And uh, I just think all of us need to to just embrace that and not feel ashamed or and, and just embrace and honor that you're going through this hard time. And I'm, again, I'm sorry. I wish I could hug you through the through Zoom. But Big virtual hugs. Virtual Zoom hug. Yeah. <laughs> well, and for all our audience, we're all embracing right now. But I think that's what we need to do as human. I know it sounds, here's John Lennon with Imagine kind of stuff, but he was onto something, which is why that song was such a big hit. And all these people who've talked about 
peace and love and whatever. I know the hippies and the drugs and all the stuff associated there too, but at the core message of, of love and all across the world, there's all kinds of movements. That's where truth is. Like you said a little while back, love is what lasts. Love is eternal. And so I think we've got to embrace that as humanity and stop all this other <laughs> nonsense. Uh, love what you have to share here. And uh, again, a delightful little book on aging and uh, your social media. We'll link all this stuff up in the, in the show notes. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Because again, we could go on like, I say this to a lot of my guests, we could go on for hours because these topics are just great. We could go on for days if we all had the time to do that. But <laughs> No, I just appreciate um, your interviewing skill and your commitment to um, unification. Well, I try so my thank best, you. Thank you. Yeah, we honor and are appreciative and, and grateful for your presence on Empower Humans. So, uh, well, with that, and for our audience, as, as always, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.